Welcome to Divorce Right, HR solutions for divorce in the workplace. I'm your host, Vicki Townsend, and welcome to the show for HR directors, managers, and department heads looking for solutions for their divorcing employees. Divorce is the second highest life stressor coming in just slightly behind death of a loved one. From presenteeism to absences and everything in between, divorcing employees cost our country billions of dollars each year in lost productivity. In this show, you'll learn how you can help your employees through this very challenging life event. So join us every Monday where we dive into the state-of-the-art techniques, tips, and real-world solutions for divorcing employees in the workplace. You'll meet thought leaders from the divorce and the human resources industries from across the country. You'll hear from industry giants in the fields of mental health, legal matters, finance, issues with children, and so much more to help you help your employee through this incredibly challenging life event. So put it on your calendar and learn how you can make this process a better one for your team. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Divorce Right, HR solutions for divorce in the workplace. My name is Vicki Townsend, and I'm the president and founder of Divorce Right. And we have solutions for the issues that divorce can cause to your employees and to your company's bottom line. And today we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community and divorce with financial advisor Marlon Alto. Marlon is a financial advisor with Eagle Strategies, a registered investment advisor. He focuses on providing comprehensive fee-based financial planning and advisory services with an emphasis on estate planning, retirement planning, and asset management. Although he works with folks from all walks of life, his clients are primarily highly successful professionals, families, divorcing companies in the LGBTQ+, transnational, and performing arts communities. Due to affinity, exposure, or both, they developed a keen understanding of these groups' distinctive financial challenges. Marlon is a certified divorce specialist and practices in French, Portuguese, and Spanish. Marlon is a certified financial planner, a chartered financial consultant, candidate through the American College of Financial Services. Marlon is very active in local business organizations, including the New York State Society of CPAs, the the National Gay and Lesbian Chamber of Commerce, and the National Association of Divorce Professionals. At the NYSS CPA, Marlon acts as president of the Society's Toastmasters Club and sits on the estate planning, family office, taxation of individuals, insurance, and business continuation planning communities. Marlon holds a Bachelor of Arts degrees in political science from Baruch College and strives to maintain close ties with his alma mater, where he currently acts as the co-chair of LGBTQ Baruch Alumni and Allies Group. Welcome, Marlon. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Vicky. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so glad that we're having this conversation because... After the legalization of the LGBTQ plus marriage in 2015, there seems to have been an expectation that there would be no issues with discrimination or need for particular considerations when planning for their financial future. Can you expound on that? And what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think a lot of rights have been expended into the LGBTQ plus communities. There are many financial rights, such as access to social security benefits that weren't available before, access to health care protection at the workplace that might not have been available to us before, uh, inheritance laws, inheritance taxes that are no longer apply to LGBTQ couples, uh, the, the elimination of the estate taxes for married couples, the LGBTQ couples, 
all of that is a, a great benefit to all of, all of us and all of our community. However, I think there are many issues that still remain and that are very specific to the LGBTQ plus uh, community, a married community that is still deriving a lot of pain and suffering and misunderstanding in the legal and financial uh, uh, communities that require special attention for those particular individuals. And I can expand on that if you would like. That would be awesome, please. So for example, there is a, we, we find couples that have kind of a tangle web of uh, registrations. They might have had a uh, domestic partnership in one state and kind of separated their ways just had an assumption that those domestic partnerships would be dis dissolved when legal, uh, legalization of marriage came about. And that's not the case. Some states, for example, Washington state uh, upgraded all domestic partnerships to a full marriage. And those mm -hmm. individuals might have walked away from one another and not realized that they're still married to somebody, right? That opens them to potential claims against their state in the future that might bring issues if they're trying to marry in a different state and they did not dissolve those relationships. Imagine that these couples have had a child together and they are fighting in, uh, in, in, in court for custody, right? If one, one parent is trying to determine, uh, you know, parentage should this child, if they're found to have had another uh, domestic partnership or another union in a different state that can create create complications in, in, in court that can really damage their claim to that you know, custody uh, fight, for example. So there's a particular need to clean up these uh, kind of myriad uh, you know, relationships, that, legal relationships that they have in the past that may not be aware of. Um, another thing is that you know, when talking about division of assets in, in a divorce procedure, you know, the, the time that these individuals have been married can have different, very, you know, important implications. So take, for example, a couple that lived in California. They met, they met in the 90s and they, you know, were together for many, many years. And like, let's say when California first legalized marriage in 2004, they got married. Although that, that marriage provision was then revoked. They later got married in, let's say 2013, when California again legalized legal marriage and they divorced in, let's say 2017. For that, if one of the partners, for example, was a home, a homestay parent or a homestay uh, spouse, he could in the future try to collect social security from his partner's benefit, right? But for that marriage to be recognized, it was probably only gonna be recognized back to 2013, not back to 2004, even when the first time was legalized or back even to the nineties, right? That would preclude him from collecting on that social security benefit because they weren't legally together for 10 years, which is a requirement. So those are just some of the, the, of the complications that can arise from not having the ability to recognize a relationship to the time that they decided to be together and more from the time that they were given the right to get married, get married legally. Wow, interesting. So if I'm hearing you correctly, if they were a gay couple and because they had been living together, their 
the state automatically can assumed they were married? Is that what I'm hearing? No, 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 no. So let's imagine, no, if they, for example, had a domestic partnership uh, put in place, right? Some states such as Washington state, and I believe Connecticut did the same, if they had a domestic partnership in place, which was you know, a legal document in that particular state, but it was not recognized elsewhere, right? So let's say this couple lived in Mississippi where their domestic partnership was not recognized, but they, had, they traveled to Seattle to get a domestic partnership because they wanted to validate their relationship. After that, they went back to Mississippi. Let's say they broke up. This person then marries somebody else. They kind of forgotten that they had a domestic partnership in place in Washington state because that in their minds have become obsolete because now legal marriage is available to them, right? So they're gonna try to remarry in the state of Mississippi because now they can to somebody else. Well, then when they go to remarry, they realize that they already have a marriage in Washington because Washington state upgraded all domestic partnerships to a legal marriage. Wow. So all of a sudden they have to first dissolve that legal marriage in Washington state before they can remarry somebody in Mississippi. Right. And the problem with that sometimes is that some of these states require a residence. They, they have a residency requirement before you can file for divorce. So then this person is finding themselves in a situation where if they really wanted to get divorced in a particular state, they have to move back to the particular state wow. to get divorced before they can marry somebody else. And, you know, and, and as I said, sometimes in order to establish parentage, like legal marriage is very important. And in order for you, especially if you're not the known biological parent of a child, right? because often enough courts, right. the assumption of parentage is not necessarily extended to a parent just because they decided to have a child together. If they have no biological ties to that child, or especially if they don't have any legal ties because they are not able to marry their partner in that particular state, that creates a whole web of confusion that can have really big implications for themselves in terms of division of assets in the case, in the future to decide to separate from this particular new partner, or also for the child in terms of the benefits of inheritance that they could have from both parents, right? So there's a lot of, uh, there's a kind of a tangled web of complicated registrations that unless somebody is very mindful and look back through their legal arrangements, they can find themselves in difficult situations that they did not imagine that they would find themselves in. Wow, this is so, I, this is issues I never considered. And I'm, and I'm sure that people that are listening also probably never considered these types of things. So what are some other issues that would shock someone like me into knowing about uh, parenting, divorce, um, other issues that they may face? Well, so for, in terms of parenting, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a case in New York State. Let me see if I can find the name of the case specifically. Uh, the case was D, G, and H, S versus K, S. Uh, in 2015, filed in New Jersey. This was a, uh, a New York gay couple decided to have a child with a woman who was also a New York resident at the time. 
this woman, and they had for years a good parentage arrangement. Uh, this woman moved to New Jersey a few years later. She had received a, a job offer in California and she wanted to relocate to California. Uh, the fathers, uh, you know, contested decision and they wanted to, uh, for their daughter to, to remain near them. They filed suit. The court found, however, that the biological father, the one that provided the sperm for the artificial insemination, had a claim to the child, but the second father, who, although planned for the birth of the child, uh, was part of their upbringing, was seen as a parent, had absolutely no legal, um, you know, no legal right with regards to this child, right? So they they were a completely legal stranger. So you know, even though, you know, in the end, there they came to an understanding and they settled, and the you know the rights of the biological father was upheld. One of the parents who sees themselves as a parent, it was, it was completely viewed as a non, you know, having absolutely no legal right to this individual. Uh, if you are a transgender person, that can have also very difficult ramifications. Uh, some transgender people have lost their parental rights altogether because their decision to transition was viewed as harmful or, you know, not in the best interest of the child. They themselves, uh, and often enough in the decision of alimony, for example, let's say this transgender person was originally a high successful CEO, right? So the alimony, alimony that they are required to pay is based on their previous pay, right? And on their capacity of earning, right? However, now because they have transitioned, they find a lot of discrimination in the workplace and they are no longer able to command the kind of salary that they were, they had been in the past, but now they find themselves in face of an, like a large financial obligation for to pay alimony or charge support. And they are unable to do so because they no longer can find employment, right? So those are issues that, uh, you know, the court is following the, the rule of law, legal, legal decisions that were based on the, you know, a, a certain heterosexual experience of life, right? That doesn't take in consideration these new, these new and unique experiences of these individuals that go beyond what the law is designed to, you know, serve, you know represent, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and beyond just the legal effects, there is a, a certain uh, cultural shock Right, you find a lot of LGBTQ plus couples that find the imposition of quote unquote straight legal rules into their lives. Right, so they there is no such thing as gay marriage or gay divorce. There is straight married laws and straight divorce laws applied to gay couples, and that can lead to a lot of resentment. Right, so there is a uh, you know, an, a certain expectation in the straight community and a certain uh, education that due to the fact that women tended to earn less, women tended to stay in the home more and be, uh, the, you know, the principal child rearing parent, there was an expectation that the husband was the provider, right? That doesn't exist in the LGBTQ plus community as much. There is less there are less children being raised by LGBTQ plus couples. 
the, the discrepancies in income can't be relegated to a, 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 commun a, a joint decision that one parent is gonna stop working or work less or stay home. Usually it, the, the discrepancies are due, due to background, to education, to ambition, to race, right? And so this particular expectation that one is going to provide for the other, one on the part of the more moneyed uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, partner that feels an imposition of the law. From the part of the, 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 the less moneyed partner, if, if they don't necessarily understand that they have these rights, right? And as we talked about those, that tangled web of regulations, uh, a usual, uh, usually a more money partner can take advantage of that situation and say, well, we weren't together for 20 years, since 1990, whatever. We were only together since 2013 because that is what the law says. And so I don't owe this person as much as you know, he claims that I do. But that date is kind of arbitrary, right? That date wasn't a decision of theirs to only marry in 2013. It was an imposition that they weren't allowed to be legally recognized. So that more moneyed partner now can you know, take advantage of these convoluted laws in order to not provide for the last, you know, the last moneyed partner, for example. So both sides, there's, you know, there's a little rejection of this new, you know, the rights are great, but I don't think uh, uh, the community stopped to think about the consequences of those rights as well. Exactly. This is so interesting. Marlon, we're going to go into this in our training course um, and uh, take a deeper dive. But um, as we wrap this up, can you think of three tips that you can give to HR managers or supervisors that are listening in how to help their LGBTQ plus employees that are about to face a divorce? Yeah, absolutely. I think first of all, it's respect. Understand that their experience is very different than you might expect, right? Uh, couple arrangements or even, uh, you know, Perhaps they're not couples. They are perhaps they're in a polyamorous relationship, right? And so the assumption that you know one be open-minded about having a full conversation with these individuals. Uh, make sure that you ask what pronouns they want to be referred to, right? And if you don't know how to refer to them, be mindful and ask them. There's nothing wrong with asking. Right. Open about it. Uh, if you have the ability to uh, guide them through what kind of dissolution arrangement that they, uh, they go to, suggest that they look into alternative dissolution uh, you know, resources. Usually the courts are not well-educated to deal with these different cultural and financial arrangements, right? So uh, have, be, being able to choose the professionals that are knowledgeable about their lifestyle and that can help them specifically and they're not going to make them be judged is very valuable. Um, you know, of course, I'm sure there's many non-LGBTQ plus couples that feel dis discriminated in courts or feel looked down upon in courts, but because these relationships involve very intimate and even sexual, you know, arrangements, 
people can feel very outed in the court and feel very misunderstood. So having the ability to come up to an understanding that makes sense for them culturally is very valuable, I think. Also encourage them to do some legal house cleaning. Look back into your previous you know, relationship arrangements. Do you have any outstanding uh, you know, domestic partnerships that you should dissolve before embarking on any new uh, marriage or divorce, even dissolution, right? Uh, take a look at all of your uh, beneficiary designations, right? Because if, if, if you are in a relationship and you don't have the protection of legal marriage, for example, you are in a polyamorous relationship, one, you know, you, one person holds the title to a home. If, if they don't specifically create a contract to, you know, disclose how they would like to separate their assets in the case of a dissolution, somebody is going to lose because they they don't have legal protections on that particular end, right? So I think that is very important to do. Also, you know, HIPAA authorizations, uh, all of these things that I think seem very small, it can have really big impacts on the lives of these individuals going forward, right? So I think being mindful, uh, encouraging them to take a very do like house cleaning in order to make sure that they are they have you know they have their their legal papers in mind if they have children encourage them to uh, you know create you know go through an adoption if they are they have a second parent who's not a biological parent an adoption is very important in order to to establish parentage you know some agreements might not be recognized by the courts but they will show intent Right. And these will help them, you know, it's better to make those decisions while they're still in, in, in better relationship status. But if it has to be done during a period of divorce, at least encourage them to do it with professionals that understand the circumstances and can help them through it. I, I agree. And that's why I wanted to have you on here today, because you bring in a perspective on this particular issue that others in the straight community may or may not have. So I'm grateful for you here today. Marlon, real quickly, um, I, I do want to leave everybody with your contact information. Can you just give them maybe your email address, phone number, or some way to contact you? Yes, of course. Uh, my phone number is 646-761-4372. And my email address is M A L. T-O-E, M as in Mary, A as in Apple, T as in Thomas, O as in Oregon, E as in Elephant, at EagleStrategies.com. And my website is EagleStrategies.com. And that's about it. That's awesome. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. I'm really looking forward. I want to take a dive into those domestic partnerships when we do our training, because um, I really want to understand what that, that is like too. So Marlon, thank you so much for doing this with us today. And everybody that's listening, thank you so much for listening. We will have another one of these wonderful podcasts up next Monday, where you can learn more about how to manage your employees that are going through divorce. Thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you soon. Bye thank for you. now. Thanks so much for joining us on Divorce HR solutions for divorce in the workplace. If you know someone who would benefit from something you've learned today, please share this with them. And if you found value, please leave us a review.